Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore. I'm one of your hosts. Nope, hosts. Hold on. You're listening to the CXMH podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore and I'm one of your hosts. I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Hey, Holly. Hey, Robert. On today's episode, we actually hear from you, Holly, about a couple of things. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a, a second. But first, how are you today? Yeah, I'm doing good. I'm good. I am and getting ready for a presentation that I have next week. Baylor is hosting the Gil Taylor Behavioral Health Symposium on October 8th, actually. So it will be this week when this comes out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm getting ready for that and just, you know, glad that we have some cooler weather and um, moving into the fall. So. Yeah. What about you're always, you? Uh, you're oh. always coming in here with your fancy symposiums, <laughs> symposia, whatever the plural Sympos- is. I don't yeah. know. I don't, mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't speak at these things, so I don't know. But yeah, <laughs> no, I'm really I'm excited about this one. Baylor's had uh, offered this each year, but um, due to COVID, they're going to make it. It's going to be online again this year, and so. So and it's it's free to register. Folks just have to register in advance. But um, we can put the link to that in the show notes for folks to sign up for it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I'm excited about it. But what about yeah. y'all? How how are you doing? Good. Nothing super new. I don't think no changes. Uh, no major things. Kind of from uh, last week when we we chatted. Um, but mm-hmm. everything's going well, and uh, just excited to be back here talking with you. Excited. I know since. Mm. Since we recorded the intro for last week, we've really kind of kicked off the season, starting with releasing interviews, getting into that, and uh, we've kind of essentially finished scheduling all of the interviews that will will air in this fall, Um, and so – that's really cool. Really excited to to see how that kind of unfolded because we never quite know. You know, there's a lot of people that scheduling is kind of hard, and so right, we start with this right. big list and to kind of look and see here's here's what the fall looks like for the show is is cool. I think kind of seeing how that lands. So excited about that. Yeah, me too. And it always feels good when we're able to get all of our scheduling done earlier, you know, in the semester. And so we can then just like move forward with actually just doing the interviews and getting to learn from our guests. And um, yeah, yeah, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. In case you're listening and you think, wow, they have the whole thing finalized so far in advance. That is maybe Mm. a first, I think. Um, Uh Oftentimes we are like (laughs) scheduling week to week in a mad scramble, uh, especially maybe the past kind of two years here. So uh, that's not always the case. So, you know, we're right there with you. Um, Yeah. It's certainly not. It's just this time it happened to to work out. So um, that's definitely a good feeling when that happens to to work how we yes, would like it, it to. It is. It is and it, you know, and it I think it it also speaks to like just the ways that we've learned with the show over the last few years too and like how, you know, we've just kind of learned the rhythms and working together through all of this. So anyways, it just feels good. So yay for celebrating yeah. being ahead of something <laughs> these yeah, days. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I did want to ask uh, in terms of kind of a segue question, maybe you just talked about preparing for this symposium. 
But then also our audio today comes from uh, an online, like a video that you did mm, at kind mm-hmm. of an online gathering. So I'm curious how uh, how you found maybe, you know, enjoyed or not enjoyed or what differences you found in terms of shifting so many kind of speaking things, things that would have been gatherings, so to speak, right, to a virtual setting. What What's kind of the biggest difference there? And if you've liked it, not liked it? Yeah, man, that is a full question. <laughs> and give me your top five bullet points. Yeah, right. No, yeah. you're like, oh, no, wait, no. <laughs> rewind. Um, no, no, no. I, I don't know. I mean, I think there's, I think that there's a lot that I have appreciated about doing the online speaking opportunities and events and such because, and and I, I think I've heard a lot of other folks who, who do speaking where they say, you know, a lot of this where, you know, there, there is the comfort of doing it within my own home and being able to, or in my office and being able to offer that, there and um you know and it's it's nice to have a little bit more flexibility in terms of you know I'm not I'm not traveling as much and so I get a little bit more time with my family I think things like that have been really beneficial but of course I absolutely grieve that I'm not in person to get to like you know, see the audience. Like when I do speaking things online and and I know you do this too, Robert, where, you know, we don't get to see folks' reactions to what we're saying. There's no body language feedback. There's no, you know, there's none of that. Like maybe we can see what's happening in the chat section or the Q&A section. Um, But sometimes that's really hard to do because, you know, you're trying to present. And so it's like I, I'll say, at least for me, I'm not very good at being able to present and try to think, what do I want to say while also receiving input from like a text <laughs> box, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, it, there's definitely been pros and cons to it. I know that I have a speaking event that's scheduled in the spring that absolutely will be in person, and I'm excited about that. But it's just, you know, we're figuring it out and finding yeah. the those struggles, but also those glimmers that we talk about too. So yeah. And and one more thing, actually, one more thing I'll say too. The other thing I like and appreciate about the online events is that they end up being much more accessible for a lot Mm -hmm. of folks. And so the ability for folks to watch it while they're having lunch or while they're, you know, at home or whatever else. And usually the cost isn't as high because we're not taking up space or facilities use or anything like that. I really appreciate the ways that more of the online uh, talks have been more accessible to disseminate this information to a wider group um, that we're, you know, hoping that it gets to. So yeah. yeah. Anyways, what about you? Do you, I mean, like, I know you've shifted too, where you've done, you know, you've used to do a whole bunch of in-person t- like speaking events, but you're do you've been doing them online too. So what's it been like for you? Yeah, I think the first thing that did come to mind was accessibility, right? And hopefully, hopefully most people that do event planning and things like that continue to have virtual options available for accessibility reasons right now that we all know how to do all of that, right? Just for a variety of reasons, right? But for for a lot of folks, the accessibility piece uh, maybe kept them from doing a lot of things before that they would have wanted to attend or listen Mm -hmm. or, you know, and so I, I love that aspect. It definitely cuts down on time traveling and things like that, even if it's just driving across Atlanta, which could be a longer process than flying to Indiana to do something with you. Right? Um, so mm-hmm. 
Yeah. You know, definitely it's helpful from that side of things, uh, kind of logistically. I do agree from kind of the lost sense of being in the room together, right? Yeah. Getting uh, feedback, like kind of nonverbal feedback, things like that. Um, there is kind of a sense of connection maybe lost in that. Um, and even, you know, like you were talking about, it's, you know, multitasking doesn't actually exist in terms of yes. like things that require cognitive right? power mm -hmm. um so like you can tie your shoes while talking to somebody but if you're if you're still learning to tie your shoes you can't right like just that right. you can't That's do two right. cognitive things at the same time so reading a text box and talking at the same time is like incredibly hard right um yeah so yeah things like that some of the interactions and stuff definitely is 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 lost but like you said i, I do enjoy a lot of it I've, I've always enjoyed kind of the potential to connect with more people online and things like that right i mean that's I've always loved that about the show, getting mm -hmm. to have conversations or um, social media spaces, things like that, like people that I would I would never interact with just going about my life. So yeah, so that's always cool. Um, but it definitely is is interesting. I'll I'll look forward to shifting back some and then maybe doing some of of each where there's some in person things and some you know yeah. virtual things. I think that that's always um, you know a good balance. But yeah, yeah, I agree. That's yeah. good. Well, speaking of virtual teaching and things like that, tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear and, and learn about today. Yeah, sure. So Laura Howe had offered the Church Mental Health Summit again this year. I know last year, both you and I uh, had gotten to speak at that. And um, we both offered, you know, the audio versions of those presentations to our listeners here on CXMH. So, mm -hmm. you know, listeners, feel free to circle back to those last year if you're interested. Link those in the, the show notes. Yeah, perfect. Um, and then I know this year, you know, y'all have had a whole lot of transition and change um, over the last few months. And so I know that that you were not able to present it that this year, but what we're doing basically in essence is the same as last year where we're taking the the audio of the um, presentation that I did for the Church Mental Health Summit and then just offering it to our CXMH listeners. So the talk that, that I ended up giving for this event was uh, entitled to Mental Health Care Providers and Faith Leaders, A Note of Gratitude and a Call to Connect. And um, the talk basically unpacks, you know, not only my gratitude to both of these groups and all the ways that they have had to shift and adapt and adjust the way that they do things, you know, through these last 18 months, but also a really clear nudge for these groups to connect in light of the fact that we know that mental health care providers and faith leaders both have a heart for serving their communities, and we know that the intersection between these two worlds is really important for us to be paying attention to. And so um, so I, I offer this invitation for these groups to really think strategically, how do they work well together? Why should they be working well together um, and and how to support their communities, like what's really happening. And then and then of course I link in some information around the ways in which the both these groups need to be paying attention to what's going on in their inner landscape as they go out and serve others. And so there's a little bit about the book in this talk as well. So Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. 
that's a brief summary ish um, (laughs) of it. But I mean, we just, we love Laura and all the good work she's doing. And there were a lot of great conversations at that event um, and great speakers. And many of our previous guests on the show have actually were speakers at that event. So Definitely, you know, if you're listening, go go check out the other talks that were also offered. But we wanted to, again, in the in the spirit of accessibility, offer up this recording for our listeners. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and joining us. Obviously, I won't do the wrap up at the end since I'm I'm not there, right? But I'll say, uh, you know, thanks for for offering this to us. That's you know, obviously something that you don't necessarily have to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and and having just listened through it at least, uh, you know, super thankful for you and and the talk and letting us uh, kind of pull the audio and use it in this space as well. If you want to connect with Holly, you can find her at hollyoxhandler.com or on any social media at Holly Oxhandler. You can also pre-order her new book on Amazon or wherever you get books. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you want to connect with me, you can find me at robert-vore.com or on any social media at Robert Vore. We will transition right here into it. Holly, enjoy hearing your own voice again when you listen back. <laughs> I don't know if you like that quite as much as I do because I don't. Um, not your voice, no. my voice. Right. Your right. voice is I know great. What you- um, <laughs> anyway, we'll get out of the way and let you enjoy this talk from our very own Dr. Holly Oxhandler. All right. Thanks, Robert. Enjoy, y'all. Welcome, friends. My name is Dr. Holly Oxhandler, and I am so honored by your presence and your willingness to tune in to today's event. Whether you're in ministry or a mental health field or serving others in some other way during this season, thank you for all of the ways that you are helping so many, both at work and among your loved ones. Now, before we go much further, I want to invite us to shift from getting here to being here. So if you would, I want to invite you to close your eyes and to breathe in through your nose, filling up your belly with air. And as you breathe out, I invite you to breathe out slowly as if you are blowing on hot soup. Again, breathe in and breathe out. Breathe in and breathe out. Thank you for trusting me uh, with that practice today. So during this session in particular, we're going to talk quite a bit about why uh, we need to be integrating our faith and mental health, um, and in particular, how faith leaders and mental health care providers can really lead the way when it comes to this connection. Now, before we do that, I do want to start by extending gratitude and thanking those of you who are mental health care providers and faith leaders specifically From the bottom of my heart, thank you for all of the ways that you are serving others right now through this season and to protect those that you serve as well. In the last year, we have watched you shift to online sessions and services and sermons to remain connected with those around you while modeling social distancing and best practices for loving our neighbor as ourselves as you continue to support those that you serve. 
And now we're seeing how you are carefully discerning, you know, when and how to move into this new season um, as more and more individuals are vaccinated. So I want to truly begin by thanking you for all of the ways that you are nurturing the well-being of those around you who look to you for support and guidance, for wisdom, for hope for support, and even for permission to grieve and navigate um, this new reality that we're collectively moving through. Your presence and the work you do matters to so many of us right now, and we are deeply grateful for all the ways that you are tenderly caring for us to the best of your ability. Now, that said, I also want to offer a long overdue request that's been at the heart of my research for the last dozen years or so one that's even more relevant today um, and in the months ahead than it has ever been. So to mental health care providers, I invite you to and ask you to please consider the role of your client's religious or spiritual beliefs and practices, whatever they may be, as you hold space for them, navigating these uncertain times and assess their struggles and strengths. In addition to considering potential referrals and resources across faith traditions. And to faith leaders, I invite you and ask you to please consider your congregation members' mental health concerns and their needs, whatever they may be, as you plan your sermons, discern ministry opportunities, and consider referrals and resources tied to mental health care. To both groups, as well as to others who are supporting those around them these days in a number of different um, areas or ways, I invite you to please consider the intricate intersection of your own mental health concerns and needs, whatever they may be, and your own religious and spiritual beliefs and practices, also whatever they may be. You have carried so much for so many for so long and I see you and I appreciate you and the ways you've cared for others. Please take good care of you to the best of your ability as you care for others through your presence and the good work you do. I will talk about this a bit more later, but let me first address this call uh, for faith leaders and mental health care providers to connect with one another. Some of you have been considering this intersection of faith and mental health in the lives of those you serve for as long as you've been in your profession. And I wanna wholeheartedly thank you for that. Um, However, as fellow researchers and I have found in the work that we have done for quite some time, many have unfortunately not. Whether you have or not, and recognizing that few of you receive training on this intersection, my request is that you begin considering it today and to take one small step to bridge this gap that we'll talk about in a moment. But first, let me address why do we need to be paying attention to this and connect these groups in general, especially right now. Well, first of all, we are waiting in a heavy state of collective recovery over the last year and a half with COVID, uh, with regard to grief and fears and exhaustion from so many ways that we've been shifting and adapting and caregiving. We've also individually and collectively navigated multiple waves of trauma and uncertainty, each of us having our illusion of control and sense of normality drastically changed. And this has been often on a day-to-day basis. I honestly believe that we all are doing the best we can with the energy, resources, access, supports, and attention that we have to give. 
And this includes the faith leaders and mental health care providers who are supporting others these days. But we're recognizing that we have and will continue to have a tremendous amount of need around mental health, substance use and misuse, um, post-traumatic stress, abuse, and suicide in the months and years ahead. We've also seen that the access to crisis hotlines um, have risen immensely alongside online therapy programs over the last year. We're also beginning to collectively recognize the trends around how inextricably connected our faith and mental health are, particularly in this season. We've seen that our nation's mental health needs have risen over the last year, especially in the first few months of COVID, um, and that the Pew Research Center actually also reported that about a quarter of Americans have said that their faith has strengthened during this pandemic. As we have needed to grieve our illusion of control, many of us are discovering that our faith and our mental health overlap in ways that we may not have been mindful of before. Now, while these rising numbers point to this connection tangentially, researchers have been studying this complex intersection for years. Dr. Harold Koenig will soon have a third edition of the handbook on religion and health out that continues to gather studies that have explored this intersection for decades. In the spirit of what's called the evidence-based practice process um, for mental health care providers, we absolutely need to be paying attention to the research on how the impact of treatment outcomes or how treatment outcomes are impacted by the consideration of clients' faith in the work we do with them. And not only do we need to pay attention to the impact on treatment, but we also need to listen to what clients are saying that they prefer um, to happen in mental health treatment and to respond to that accordingly. In a national survey that my research team and I conducted in late 2018, funded by the John Templeton Foundation, we found that 64% of current mental health clients in the U.S. agree that their faith is relevant to their mental health. Um, about 20% disagreed and 16% were neutral on that. About two-thirds also said that engaging in their religious or spiritual practices improves their mental health and that their beliefs motivate them to become mentally healthy. Not only do clients report that their faith impacts their mental health, but about two-thirds said that healthier that they feel mentally, the more they want to engage in their religion and spirituality. And this article actually was just recently published in the journal Social Work. Now, these areas of our lives are intimately connected with one another and to honestly silo them or to separate them in this season could truthfully negatively impact uh, those we're trying to help, particularly given the power differential between faith leaders and mental health care providers and those they serve. In faith settings, not regularly communicating about mental health uh, leaves attendees wondering, what does the congregation think about this topic? Or worse, they might make assumptions. In mental health settings, we need to ask clients uh, whether their faith is important to them and to let them know it is okay to talk about this area of their lives as it relates to their clinical circumstances. This is important because those facing mental health struggles may find themselves leaning on or questioning their higher power during difficult times, engaging in spiritual practices to cope, um, or seeking support from their faith community. These areas of our lives can be woven together to support healing by combining healthy coping mechanisms with a grounded faith in a divine love. 
And at the same time, they may be connected as we wrestle with our faith or face spiritual traumas or spiritual struggles or engage in negative religious coping strategies. Now, in both settings, we need to take a disposition of being um, curious and a, a humble learner with those that we're trying to serve, continually identifying opportunities to learn more around this intersection while working within our ethical guidelines of our profession, in addition to our professional training and making sure that we're referring appropriately. Certainly, it's worth remembering that our ethical guidelines include seeking consultation, support, and resources from others who have training in these other areas. Now, the nudge to consider this intersection um, between faith and mental health isn't just for those that we serve, uh, whether you are a faith leader or a mental health care provider or helping in some other way. As a fellow helper, we cannot offer to others that which we don't reflect upon and offer to ourselves. To the best of your ability and regardless of your personal faith or your mental health journey or background, I hope that you will offer yourself the space you need to tend to your own spiritual and mental health needs, especially in this season, um, particularly as you hold that space for others and their needs you are worth caring for to the best of your ability, fellow helper. Now we see that the many ways in which you have had to shift and adapt and learn new ways to serve others around you to the best of your ability, they have just grown and grown over the last year and a half. The learning curves for these shifts in service delivery required energy and time and attention. Um, in addition to the worry that you have carried, the grief that you've navigated, the exhaustion, the trauma, fear, and the isolation that some of you may have felt too. So recognizing the many ways in which you and other fellow helpers have been serving others through the season, I created a free one-week self-care for helpers guide um, that you can access using that link that I have there in the slide. Um, and if you just click on that, the where it says self-care for helpers guide, it'll take you right to where you can sign up. But the truth is, is that we must tend to self-care that honors our mental health, our spiritual health, our social networks, and our physical health. Within this one-week guide, I offer practical ways of tending to each of these areas as we hold space um, to help yourself be accountable to these self-care strategies um, in practicing self-care. For example, we may rely on our spiritual practices to help transform our pain, uh, recognizing what Richard Rohr says and teaches us that if we do not transform the pain, we will most assuredly transmit it, and usually to those closest to us. We must engage in something tied to our faith if this is an important area of our lives, regardless of what we believe in, and to be consistent in that practice to the best of our ability. Again, continuing to, uh, learning to surrender to that sense of control that we have all been navigating for the last year and a half. Um, in addition to paying attention to our faith, we must pay attention to our mental health too. Perhaps we engage in some deep breathing exercises like what we started off this session with or intentionally getting outside to get some sunlight each day. Um, maybe we pick up the phone and make an appointment with a mental health care provider. Whatever it is that um, best serves you, those are the practices that I'm hoping that you will prioritize in this season. 
Last and um, most importantly, I again, I want to reiterate this need to reach out for help if you are noticing changes in your appetite, your sleep, your mood, your behaviors, your thoughts, your feelings, or invite others to do that as well if they are noticing those changes. Reaching out um, for help when it comes to our mental health is a sign of courage, not weakness. And it needs to be as normal as going to our, our doctor, our primary care physician, if we have symptoms of a physical illness. Some sites for finding therapists include Psychology Today, um, or if you or a loved one are in crisis and deeply struggling, I invite you to please contact the National Suicide Lifeline at one 800 273-8255. Now, echoing this need to take care of ourselves as we care for others, um, this, this is so, so important to me in the work that I've been doing over the last several years that um, I have gone forward and um, written this book that is going to be coming out in January. And so um, I'd like to introduce to you this uh, new book, The Soul of the Helper, Seven Sages to Seeing the Sacred Within Yourself So You Can See It in Others that will be coming out in January. This book will be published by Templeton Press and is already available for pre-order. It touches on some of what uh, we've already talked about today, but goes into much more detail around this intersection of faith and mental health um, and even offers these seven stages to give helpers and caregivers of all kinds, whether that's mental health care providers, faith leaders, parents, teachers, nurses, doctors, um, leaders, and so many others who serve others. Um, it is meant to help offer these seven stages to give caregivers the kind of permission they need to stop, to reconnect with the stillness within their souls, and to renew their capacity to help others by paying attention to helping themselves. It's my hope that this book will truly meet uh, fellow helpers exactly where they are along their own sacred journey and offer some guidance as they serve from a place of enoughness. Now, in addition to this book, um, there are uh, other resources I'd like to elevate, many of which I know have been echoed in previous sessions, and so I don't want to repeat those, um, but under the resources tab on my website, I have a long list of resources regarding this intersection, including uh, freely available instruments for mental health care providers, some recommended books and trainings, um, including the SCTMH, which is the Spiritual Competency Training for Mental Health Care Providers. Um, and I have a monthly newsletter that I send out that includes resources about this topic, uh, in addition to some summaries of articles I've published or been reading about. Um, and, and more. Um, if you're a podcast listener, I also co-host a podcast called CXMH, uh, where we have conversations on the intersection of faith and mental health. Some of our guests are speakers at this event, which is wonderful to see them. Um, and I'm so looking forward to learning from, from their good work again as well. And our audience is about a third faith leaders, a third mental health care providers, and a third of those who have or love someone with mental illness. I also um, want to elevate just a few additional um, resources specific to these days that we're living in, including covidmentalhealthsupport.org, forthefrontlines.com, or this text line that you can reach out to. And then I've already mentioned the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, um, but that is there as well. 
Now, before I close, I want you to write down one takeaway or thing that you will do in the next few days. Um, Before we do that, I'm just going to offer a few ideas for you to take into consideration. If you're a mental health care provider, perhaps you read about some research on the intersection of faith and mental health. Maybe explore some spiritually integrated interventions that are tailored to those you serve. And maybe you begin asking your clients about spirituality in the intake form. Or perhaps um, you check out the freely available religiously uh, religious spiritually integrated practice assessment scale, which is on my website for you to reflect on your own views and behaviors uh, with integrating clients' faith. Now, if you're a faith leader, perhaps you spend some more time um, looking at the Center for Faith and Opportunity Initiatives website um, to see what other resources they have that exist at this intersection, or begin including some mental health resources within your community newsletter. Um, Perhaps you partner with a nearby school social work um, or a mental health school nearby um, to maybe identify an intern to help with mental health needs within your congregation. Or perhaps you partner with other local congregations and collectively hire a full-time mental health care provider for your community. For both groups, though, I would recommend setting aside some intentional time to practice self-reflection and self-care around this intersection. Perhaps you sign up for that one-week self-care for helpers guide that I mentioned before um, as you are navigating this season and all that we are carrying within it. Um, The important thing with self-care is, as Parker Palmer notes, self-care is never a selfish act. It is simply good stewardship of the only gift I have, the gift I was put on earth to offer others. Anytime we can listen to true self and give the care it requires, we do it not only for ourselves, but for the many others whose lives we touch. Again, um, maybe a couple other things to consider. Perhaps you begin that wobbly, awkward work of picking up the phone or sending an email to a local faith leader or mental health care provider to begin finding ways to connect and learn from one another. Maybe you dream about ways you can be working together to serve your community. Um, Perhaps you think about creating intentional space to, um, if you're a faith leader, perhaps you think about creating intentional space um, to support mental health care providers in the area. Or maybe you provide spiritual direction um, to mental health care providers around you. And if you're a mental health care provider, maybe you think about ways that you can reduce the costs for faith leaders so that they can um, receive access to mental health care as well. Either way, um, as we recognize the rise of mental health concerns and needs, my invitation and my call is for mental health care providers and faith leaders to identify unique and creative ways to be meeting those needs within your community. They need you right now um, and you need one another. So that said, I will close with this. Um, To mental health care providers and faith leaders, I really do want you to hear me how, how grateful I am for all that you are doing to humbly serve others especially over the last year and a half. Um, And as we move into the upcoming and uncertain months, you are invaluable within your communities. And my hope is that you can lean on and learn from one another as you collectively care for your communities, for those around you, and most importantly, for yourselves. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMH Podcast at gmail.com. 